I can't tell you with the great joy that came upon me when I saw the texts for this Sunday given to us in our lectionary, because since I was hired in November, I have wanted to stand here before you and be able to shout, repent! <laughs> oh, what a joy it is, finally the day has come. Or I can tell you knuckleheads, get it together. I'm teasing. But this is the first recorded message of Jesus in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I'd like to try to unpack this for you a little bit today, the way I read it anyway. Uh, so in Mark's version, if you have one of those Bibles, and I diverge here, but if you have one of those Bibles with red letters, you know, where they try to make the words of Jesus, it's harder to read red than it is. So here we've taken the most important words and made it harder to read because it's hard for me to read the red. But anyway, that's my rant. But the first red letters in the Gospel of Mark are repent and trust in the good news. It's recorded in the Greek, metanoete kai pistuete into evangelio. And, and for centuries, folks like me stand before folks like you, and we've proclaimed this word repent. You've got to repent. Stop doing bad. Start doing good. Behave. And I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. The word metanoete, the Greek, of the English word repent, simply means change your thinking. You're thinking all wrong. Because I'm suggesting Jesus understood that our behavior follows from what we think and believe. And if we want to change our behavior, the first thing we need to do is change our thinking. And the thinking of the people of that day and many days since is that God is out to get you and squish you like a bug and waiting for you to get out of line so he can zap you or she can zap you, whatever your God concept is. And I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about at all. I think Jesus is saying, because that's, how is that good news? The good news is, the good news is, if you clean yourself up and get it together, then maybe God will like you. That's not good news. I don't know about you, but that's not good news to me. The, good, the great good news is that this being we name God is so crazy that this being loves you, numbskull and knucklehead that you are, just as you are right now. This God loves you and cares for you and accepts you regardless of your sexual orientation, regardless of your ability to keep your promises, regardless of who you vote for, regardless of what football team you support. This God loves you regardless of your race or ethnicity. This God loves you. And what we, preachers like me, have stood before groups like you for thousands of years, and we have taken this 
radical good news and we've made it conditional. Well, this applies to you if you believe the right way or if you behave the right way. And in all humility, I stand before you and apologize that we have taken the great good news and we've divided people about it and we've made people feel less than or not enough. When as I read it, the one we call Messiah came to say, God already loves you. You are accepted just as you are. And I am so sorry if anybody has ever made you feel not worthy of that good news. Because it's incredible good news. It is life-changing good news. It means that we no longer have to live in the kingdom of fear that I'm not enough or have enough or good enough and that I have to behave badly being pushed by these voices of fear that I can now live in the kingdom of God knowing I am loved and now I can behave in such a way that I'm already accepted in love, in freedom and in liberty to fully become human in all that that means. I think that's the first message. Of, that's the primary message of Jesus, the lodestar of his communication to us. And then he invites others to follow because he goes off and then invites all these folks to come and join him, trying to live in a reality that is not motivated by fear, but by acceptance and love. And as we'll get to in a moment here, from the first text that uh, Becky read to us, it's not easy to do that. We're conditioned to live in a kingdom of fear and not conditioned to live in a kingdom of loving acceptance. And it's hard for us. And so we bump up against it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I've actually had some people in this congregation. I, this is going to be hard for you to believe. <laughs> I've had some people in this congregation come up to me and say, why don't you ever preach about sin? Or why don't you ever tell us how bad we are? I've had, I, people have asked me that. And in my younger ministry, I was a travel agent of guilt trips. I know how to make people feel bad. I perfected it. Because I don't have to look beyond my own mirror to find what's wrong with you. And so here's the, this, this is why, I don't, look, I trust your adults and you know what you do that you shouldn't be doing. And you know when you act in a way that you don't feel good about. I, you know that. You don't need me to tell you that. But here's, this is where I come from, to, to give you some idea of why I do, try to do what I do. And I take this metaphor from, from Greek mythology. I, I like to read a lot of different things. 
And so in Greek mythology, there was this famous island that had the sirens living on this island. And the sirens were these beings. They were cannibals. But they could disguise themselves as beautiful people. And they could sing very beautifully. And on the island they lived, there was rocks under the water that you couldn't see. And so what these sirens would do is when they would see a boat come rowing by, they would transform themselves into these beautiful beings and go sing their beautiful song in an effort to lure the boat close to the shore, trusting that the boat would crash on the rocks and then they would dive in the water and eat the people that were in the boats because they were cannibals. Now, word got out, this is not a good place to go, okay? <laughs> so there were two Greek guys that had went by this island, and they had a different approach on how to do it. The first is recorded is Odysseus in the Odyssey. And Odysseus knew he had to go by the island to get home, and so this was his plan. And it was pretty, pretty smart. He melted wax and put it in the ears of all the men on his boat that were rowing. But he did not put wax in his own ears, and he had his men tie him up to the mast in the center of the boat because he wanted to hear the song of the sirens, but he didn't want to get eaten up. And so he put wax in all his men's ears. So the, the boat goes by the, the island of the sirens, the sirens come down, they transform themselves, they start singing their beautiful song, and the men can't hear a thing because they've all got wax in their ears. And so they just keep rowing along. But Odysseus could hear. And it nearly drove him crazy. He is writhing against the ropes that are binding him. And he's screaming to his men, Men, you don't understand. We're home. We're home. These are our families. Stop, stop, stop. And they couldn't hear anything because they just kept rowing. But it nearly drove Odysseus crazy because he heard the song. But he couldn't respond. So that was one approach to going by the island of the sirens. And I think, actually, that's a great metaphor for those voices of fear that push our buttons. We hear that song, or that sound, and it drives us crazy, and we lash and we fight. And then when we give in to it, it devours us. But there was another Greek guy that had to go by the island of the sirens, and he had a different approach. His name was Jason, and his book or boat was the Argo. Jason and the Argonauts, those were the guys on the boat, the Argo. Jason didn't put wax in anybody's ears. Jason brought along the magic flute player. And so as Jason's boat was going by, the island of the sirens came down, transformed themselves, started to sing their beautiful song. The men... Do what men do. They start rowing right to the shore, ready to crash into the rocks. And Jason cued the magic flute player. And then the flute player began to play this incredible song that nobody had ever heard before. It was the most beautiful sounds these men had ever heard. And when they heard the sounds from the flute, the song of the sirens sounded off key and, and cheap brash and didn't have the power over them anymore because they heard a more beautiful song. 
And I think the good news of Jesus is the more beautiful song. I don't need to tell you the things you're doing you shouldn't be doing. But when we hear the song, the good news, that we're loved and accepted, it, it pulls us, it draws us to live in to the reality that is, to become what God already dreams us to be. And so that we're not fighting against the math. But we're drawn to live in to reality. Now, as I said a few moments ago, this is hard to do because we're conditioned to respond to fear. And that's that text that uh, Becky read to us from 1 Corinthians, where they were all in the church at Corinth. They were fighting. There was factions well, we, you should, we should be doing what Paul said. No, no, we need to do what Apollos said to do. No, no, I'm going to do what Peter said to do. No, no, I'm following Jesus. I don't know. And, and so there were these facts. Isn't it great to read about a dysfunctional church and then not be us? I mean, isn't that kind of cool? That other people have struggled with this stuff because we're conditioned to live out of fear. And, and, and what Paul was Telling them, we should, look, you guys, we should be in unity. Now, unity is not uniformity. It's not that we're all going to vote for the same people or support the same football team. It's not that. But that I can love you and support you, whoever you vote for. And I can love you and hope the best for you, whatever is your favorite movie that might not be mine, or whatever kind of music you like that I might not like. It's not uniform, it's unity that we're together. And what holds us together is a word, a Bible word called covenant that we're going to actually act out here in a few moments as we invite Greg and Donna to come join our church. We're going to covenant with them. And, and some people try to liken a covenant to a contract. And I would offer or suggest that a contract basically is designed to protect assets. I want to make sure my building is safe or my car is safe or my money in my IRA is safe, so we do a contract. But a covenant is designed to protect relationships, not assets. And so we're going to join in a covenant where we're going to say we're with you and you're with us and we're together with the idea that we're all going to be transformed and converted as a result of being in relationship with one another. It's not about making you like me or believe the way I do or you making me believe the way you... That Together as we talk about this stuff and wrestle with this stuff and, and do this, that we are all transformed. Like the four blind men in the story I told you about with the elephant. That as we share our experiences, we all grow in our understanding of what this divine being we call God could be like and is asking of us. So that's what this is about. Now, one of my favorite, I, you know, I, always, I always have a favorite Zen story. It seems like every Sunday I've got a favorite Zen story. Well, here, here's one I like. So there were two Zen students arguing about which is more important, the destination or the journey. And they had great points about which is more important. 
So they went to their master and they said, settle this for us. What is more important, the destination or the journey? And the master looked at them and said, the companions. Because <laughs> the destination and the journey are both important. But what's really important is who we companion with, who we covenant with. Because the reality is there's going to be days and moments where I get afraid. And those voices start screaming in my ear, you're not good enough, you don't know what you're doing, you don't have enough, nobody likes you, nobody wants to hear what you have to say, nobody thinks you're any good. Those voices are all, they're not going anywhere. And I need you to remind me, wait a minute, wait a minute, remember the the good news. God loves us. The good, trust the good news. You are acceptable just as, because we're all going to fall down and do things we're not proud of because we've listened to those voices of fear. But we can help each other get back up and remind each other, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember the good news. The good news is we're loved. The good news is we're accepted. The good news is we're going to keep trying and we're going to do it together. That, to me, is what covenant is all about and why we need each other and why, with great joy, we are about to invite Donna and Greg into this fellowship of knuckleheads (laughs) as together we try to grow into and become all that God dreams of us. And the final piece I want to say is that we don't have to just rely on each other. But Jesus has promised that his spirit, that animating energy that was within him, is with us. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is with us. So that even if we all forget, the spirit of Jesus will remind us to continue on the journey to the destination together.